0: Well, good morning, church. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I'm the senior pastor here. And I, I just love being with you people. What a joy it is to gather together. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. A few, years ago, a few weeks ago, let me say, um, our family went to Atlanta to go see the Braves game. Uh, some of you may know we're big Braves fans for... For those of you who have no idea about anything about sports, when I say Atlanta Braves, I'm talking baseball. So, you know that round, little round thing that they throw and a dude with the wood stick swings at it. That's the game I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, and we, we, went, we were able to go to the game. It was opening weekend for the Braves on a Sunday. And for, for you baseball fans who follow MLB closely, you, you may have heard of the play that happened at the game that we were at. One of the most controversial plays this year so far, if not the most controversial so what happened, let me set the scene for you. It's the top of the ninth inning. The Phillies are batting. There's a guy on third base. There's one out. Batter up to uh, the guy up to the plate. Hits the ball. It's a fly ball into the left field. Doesn't go very deep, but the left fielder, all the Braves fans know, he doesn't have a, str- doesn't have a strong arm. This is going to be a close play at the plate. So he catches the ball in the air for the out. Guy tags up from third. Runs home. They throw the ball. It's a close play. And the ump called him safe. And, of course, all the Braves fans booed and come, come to find out, as they were showing, them, looking at the replays, the Braves were like, hold up. Like, you, need, you guys need to look at this play again. So there's a new rule in baseball over the last couple years where you can actually review plays like this. And so they're like, you guys need to, re- I think you missed this one. And so we're watching the video. And as we're watching the video, they got a huge screen in the stadium. The fans start erupting in applause. And actually the players start walking off the field. Because we could clearly see the guy never touched home plate. And he was out. The guy tagged him out. The, the catcher tagged him out. And so what happens at that point is the umps uh, get on some headphones and they call New York. And New York, the guys in New York look at the play to review it. And so we're waiting for this, anticipating that, that he's going to be called out. We're going to go to the bottom of the ninth. The game is tied at this point. So this was a crucial play. And... To the astonishment of everybody in the crowd, they still called him safe. And at this point, the crowd goes crazy. They're starting to throw stuff on the field. They're booing. And our twins, we have boy-girl twins, had very different responses to what was going on. And so one of the twins, I'll try not to tell you who it is because I don't want to give it away... One of them is like super pumped about what's going on, excited, like she's wanting to grab her hot dog and throw it on the field. Like, I I kid you not, they're like chanting, bull, I'll let you fill in the blank there, bull, and then my little twin was like, bull, and we're like, no, you cannot say that. And the other twin, on the other hand, he can feel, oops, or she, or she, I just did it. I just ruined it. That's okay. Uh, felt the temperature change, and, and he, just started, he just started crying. And he was very scared of what was going on, clinging to his mom, just saying, I just want to go home. I just want to leave. I mean, what did my son need at that point? He needed to look up in his mom or dad's eyes and be told that everything was okay. That even in the midst of the chaos that was going on, There was still a confidence in our eyes that says, Son, everything is fine. Everything is under control. And as I look at our text this morning, I think about this. I think about the invincibility of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of the chaos that we go through in our life, sometimes we just need to look into the Father's eyes and be told, Everything is fine. Everything is under control. In our passage today, we're going we're gonna to be reminded of the chaos that happened before Jesus died. Where Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver in order to turn him over to the authorities. And chaos ensued for the disciples. And, and now, of course, in the book of Acts, this is after Jesus rose from the grave... But yet they're still looking for that comfort. They're still looking to, to wonder, is everything fine? Is everything going to work out? And so we see the invincible, invincibility of the Holy Spirit here. Turn to Acts 1 verse 12 and follow along with me as I read. Then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. The company of the persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and fall- Headlong, He burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Pray with me this morning. Father, we... Have already confessed to you that we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we confess as we live in a broken world, Lord, there are sometimes, there are sometimes where we need to know and remember. In fact, it's every day we need to remember this and know this that you are invincible. There is nothing can. Th- your plans, and you work everything for the good of those who love you. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at your word that we would be overcome with confidence, not in of ourselves, not in our church, but that our confidence would be in you. Lord, that it would spur us on as we are called to take the gospel to the end of the earth, that we would do so with boldness knowing that you Go before us, and whatever comes our way, we know that you are there working everything, first and foremost for your good. And Lord, what's good for you is good for us. So God would you fill us with hope this morning? Fill us with the reminder of the power that is within us because of your spirit dwelling within us. Lord. You are good and gracious and kind to give us your spirit. And since in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. And so last week we started the book of Acts. We looked at the main verse of this whole book, Acts 1-8. Just look at that again real quick. This is kind of the overarching theme of what takes place in the book of Acts. Acts 1-8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth and so we've titled the kind of the overarching theme here to the end of the earth what's the point of Acts when we look at Acts what we do is we see the power of the Holy Spirit working through his apostles and taking the gospel from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and we get to participate in that part to the end of the earth not every nation has yet heard the gospel. And so what are we called to do? Take the gospel into all the nations. Now some of us, most of us, will probably never take the gospel to another nation. But my prayer is that God would move in some people here. That they would feel called to take the gospel to places that are very hard. That aren't easy. We want to be a church that helps support missionaries who are going into territories that are hostile to the gospel. But we are called to take the The message of Jesus to the end of the earth. And today we we find a very interesting discussion amongst Peter and the the other 11 apostles. And then there's 120 here total. And they were all handpicked by God to build the church. And as we see here, a closure is going to come to Judas. We're going to close the books on what happened to him. It's an intriguing passage, no doubt, but I, but what I see here is the power of the Holy Spirit on full display. And so let's talk about the invincibility of the Holy Spirit. The first thing we see here in verse 12 is this: "The Holy Spirit will use unified, will use unified prayerful churches. The Holy Spirit will use unified, prayerful churches." Look again with me at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so the reason they're here is because Jesus said, hey, I got power that's coming to you. The Holy Spirit's coming. Go wait for me in Jerusalem. And so they leave the Mount of Olivet and they go to this upper room, which this says is about a Sabbath day's journey away. So for those of you who aren't aware, the Sabbath was a day where they were supposed to, rest and not to do too much. And so they could take a Sabbath day's journey, which is about two-thirds of a mile, roughly. And so they go to Jerusalem, and they're gathering together. They're waiting for the Spirit to come. We see who's here here. We see the, the 11 disciples minus Judas Iscariot, who was the betrayer, gathering together. We see a total of 120, but we see women, the Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers, I think is an important thing to note here. Like there's some people in the world who want to lift up Mary, want to idolize her. I've, I remember going to the, the Basilica in Notre Dame and kind of appalled as, as Mary is sitting on a throne and God the Father and God the Son are crowning Mary. There's no crowning here. There's no gathering around Mary. This is all about Jesus. This is all about waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. So that's just a little side note. This is the last we hear of the mother of Jesus. She, she is not a significant person like some people would make her out to be. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We worship the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. But that's who is gathering here Together in this room. And notice what we see here. They were in one accord, verse 14. The CSB says it this way they were continually united. 120 people. Do you know how many people attend our church on a regular Sunday? About 120. Completely united in one accord. Now, think of this for a minute here. You have these disciples. What did they do when Jesus was being put to trial? Were they fighting for Jesus? What were they doing? They all scattered. And then look who is addressing the crowd right here. Look who's addressing them. Verse 15. In those days, who? Peter. So Peter is addressing the crowd. Do you guys know what Peter did? So imagine, imagine it, it, I can only imagine what I would think some people might be thinking. Like, why is Peter addressing the crowd? I mean, yeah, sure, I might have walked away. I might have abandoned Jesus. But I didn't publicly deny Jesus three times. Who is he to address us? What right does he have to come and try to tell us what we should be doing? Or trying to unite us when he's the one... Who publicly rejected Christ. Does that sound familiar? Don't we look at the world and see so much rejection that happens because we stumble and fall from time to time. We don't always get things right. And so what can we do? We just abandon and we just leave one another. That's not what happened here. And the reason why I think this is true, the reason why I think they responded this way is because I think they were finally starting to understand what Jesus accomplished for them on the cross. They were starting to feel the weight and see that he was on the cross because of their sin. And so when they came together and they gathered together, it wasn't about... Pointing fingers at what the other person did, did wrong, they were in one accord because they realized none of them deserved to be right with Jesus. But because of their friend's death, because of their Savior's death on the cross, they could forgive one another. But most importantly, they were forgiven themselves. They realized that their sins against Christ were far worse than anybody else's sins against them, and so they were in one accord. We're gonna fail one another. Hopefully, it's not on purpose. I hate to break it to you, but I am far from a perfect person. And our other elders, Mark and Aaron, are great dudes, but they are far from perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to stumble. But as a church, when we realize we are united by the blood of Jesus, that is a church that the Holy Spirit will use. And so let me ask you, are you participating in helping make this a unified church? Understanding that you're going to encounter people who don't always get it right. Just like you, right? But are willing to work through our struggles. Understanding that we are united because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The Holy Spirit will use A unified church. Notice what else they were doing, though. Not only were they in one accord, not only were they continually united, but they also devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, we don't know exactly what they're praying for, but I could imagine they're thinking about the fact that Jesus, their leader, had left them. And they're wondering, I mean, what what is this promised Holy Spirit? What is this power? Lord, help us. Lord, help us to live without you here with us. What is that going to look like? Lord, help us. How how could we possibly take the gospel from this little city and go to the end of the earth? How is that going to happen? Lord, we, we need you. We are desperate for you. They're praying for strength. After all, they had witnessed Jesus, the Son of God, who over and over again excused himself so that he could pray. In fact, he's about to face his death. What is he doing? Like, this is coming. Oh, no, what am I going to do? What's he doing? He's praying. He's going to his father. If Jesus needs to go to the father to pray, how much more do we need to seek our father out? In the midst of the struggles that you are facing, what is your first step that you take? Are you running, running immediately to the Father? Or are you running to, like, Internet, how do I, how do I work this out? Huh. Going to other people, how do I work this out? Or the first thing we do is hit our knees and realize, God, I am desperate for you. If you don't show up here, I am lost. And the disciples realized this. They were giving a task that was impossible for them to do. And so what's their response? Is They gather together, united, and they pray. Brothers and sisters, that is what God has called us to do. Not just to pray on our own, but to come together and pray. And so after the service today, the first of every month, we are praying. Are you committing yourself to be here so that we can continually be united to one another through prayer together? And we'll be out by 11.15, plenty of time for lunch. (laughs) It's important for us that we realize... Here's, here's, I think, why a lot of us don't pray is because we don't realize that we are desperate. And sometimes we wait until we get into this desperate hole where then we come to the Father and then we're like, where were you? God, where are you? Why are you allowing me this? Why are you allowing me to experience this when we haven't sought him out from the beginning? And so we're probably in a hole because we haven't spent our time pursuing him and helping us understand. Here's, here's the thing. When we look through Acts, you're going to see something amazing. This is not like they come to salvation, they receive the Holy Spirit, and it's like a fairy tale where they live happily ever after. We're not going to find out like that they, the Holy Spirit comes and then the, gold, the, the yellow brick road opens up for them, and they just got to follow the yellow brick road, and they'll make their way to glory, skipping make, and with life easy. No, what we're going to find out is we're going to see Stephen, Stephen, who's full of the Holy Spirit and declares the gospel, and what happens to him for it? He is stoned to death. And I've mentioned this already, but all the disciples except for John are martyred for their faith. So we're desperate people. The world hates us. And that's why it's so easy for us to kind of play church. But then Monday through Saturday we're living a different life. Are you desperate for him? Do you see how desperately you need Jesus? Not when you're at your worst, but when you're at your best. In fact, that's the most dangerous time, isn't it? When things are going honky dory things are going well, that we think we got this. And so... Jesus is a tool that gets put back on the shelf because we don't really need that tool yet. When we come to realize that we are desperate, just as desperate for him now as we were before we were saved, we will spend more time praying. And let me just say as a church, we are desperate for him. Not because I think the wheels are falling off. It's because I know that our hearts are sinful and deceitful. So many churches during this season... Are struggling with unity because we have our own little issues that we think we need to proclaim, and we need to think should be at the forefront. There's one thing should, that should be at the forefront, and that is the proclamation of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear. It. Amen. Not this other stuff. Are you contributing to the unity of this church, to the unity of Big C Church? And do you realize how desperate you are for God to work in your life? We are called to participate, to take the gospel. Some of you may be the only Jesus some people will ever know. Let that sink in. Hopefully that makes you not like, I'm out. But just like desperate. Jesus, you're the power, and here's the thing. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And he wants to use you. The Holy Spirit will use Unified, not might, the Holy Spirit will use unified, prayerful churches. Look at verse 15 with me. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. What a wonderful thing to be reading on a Sunday morning, huh? (laughs) And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May His camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Here's the next thing that we see about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will use tragedy for his good. The Lord will use tragedy for his good. And this is a tragic story, is it not? You got one who walked with Jesus, who was in his most, one of his most intimate circles of people that he fellowshiped with, and he was a crook. He was a traitor. And we see that it was prophesied by David in Psalm 69, 25 that, hey, we got to, he, he, his place will be desolate. You see, God knew what, G, what Judas would do. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't like, okay, now I got to go to plan B. Man, I didn't see that coming. I thought, really, these guys were solid. But here we go. I'm going to have to figure out what to do. Some people people view God that way. They can't comprehend that God could be sovereign and allow things like this to happen and be good. Like, how can he be sovereign and allow these things to happen? Or they believe that God is good, but he's not sovereign. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in a God who's sovereign but not good. Because that means bad news for us. God is both sovereign and he's both good. He knew what Judas would do, and yet he used it to fulfill his purposes. Was God surprised? Absolutely not. And ultimately, Jesus came not to rule as a king yet, right? He came to be crucified. And so Judas fulfilled God's purpose by turning him over to the authorities so that Jesus would be crucified. Oh, how God does that, doesn't He? He flips the script constantly because He is completely sovereign. Satan is trying to do everything He can, and He has no power apart from what God allows Him. You guys remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, where He was a spoiled brat. For those of you who have brothers and sisters, maybe you're thinking of somebody right now, hopefully not, but that, you know, that. That brother, sister, who just thinks they're the they're the man or they're the woman, like they're the God's gift to this family. Uh, Joseph, I I mean, I just gather he was this arrogant dude because he he had these dreams, and he goes to his his family, he goes to his his eleven brothers and his parents and says, "Hey guys, I had this crazy dream. I had this dream that these eleven stars, and the sun and the moon were bowing down to me. (laughs) Like, why didn't he just keep that to himself? Uh, Anyway, so they get super jealous." And they're like, I can't stand this guy. And, and, and then his, on top of it, his dad was not. A, his dad showed favorites. And so he bought him this colorful coat. <laughs> you can have your stupid coat, Joseph. We're going to take care of you. And so they, that just throws them overboard. So we got to get rid of this guy. So they see these, these people coming. And like, first of all, they're like, let's kill him. And then one of the brother, I guess, was. Somewhat caring, and said, "Well, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery." And so they sell these, these the, sell Joseph into slavery. He ends up getting shipped over to Egypt, and Potiphar takes him, and he becomes kind of oversees Potiphar's household. But you know what happened to Potiphar? Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph into into having an inappropriate relationship. But Joseph, at this time, I, I think God had gotten a hold of his life, and he's like, "I am not doing that." So he runs out naked, and gets thrown into prison for that. And while he's in prison, he becomes the second in command in Egypt. So this man who was thrown into slavery ends up being the second in command in Egypt. Only God can do that. And the reason why it had to happen is because there was a huge famine that came over the land. And guess who came back to Egypt? Brothers. They thought Joseph was dead. And so they come before his brother. They don't realize it's his brother, but Joseph knows who it is. And so he's just playing a little trick, doesn't, acts like he doesn't know the language they're talking about, tells them to bring his brother back. Long story short, what happens is he spares his family, brings the Israelites to Egypt, brings Israel, that's his dad and his family, to Egypt and spares them. And this is what, uh, and so eventually then Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and all of a sudden they are scared. I mean, Wouldn't you be afraid if you if you? sold your brother out and then you find out he's alive and he's the second in command in Egypt and they're afraid for their lives. But Joseph said this in Genesis 50 verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God is sovereign over all. You can't mess with the Holy Spirit. He uses tragedy for his good. And that's why David wrote 1,000 years ago. We must understand, too, that the Holy Spirit will never do anything contrary to what God's word says. He's going to carry out what's been prophesied. And so, in Psalms, we see, in your scriptures here, verse 20, May his camp become desolate, and let there be one, no one, to dwell in Now, we got to understand, there's some things here that are, you know, Judas didn't buy this property, but rather he hung himself because of the shame of denying Jesus, selling him out. He took the money, threw it into the temple, and then the Pharisees took the money and bought this property, and that's what's going on here. He didn't buy it himself, but they did it because of what happened, and they tried to take the high road, the, the Pharisees did, and say, I can't take this money, this is blood money. And so that is what took place there. But the Holy Spirit carries out what the scriptures say. And if the scriptures are true, and if the Holy Spirit is who wrote the scriptures, then we need to come to understand what God's word says. And Jesus has called us to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Every believer, that's not just the pastor's job. That's not just the elder's job. That's, that is what every believer is called to do. Are you convinced of that? Do you live your lives as though you are God's witnesses wherever you go? Your job is not just to make money so that you can survive. Your job is also a ministry for you. If you call Jesus your Lord, do you realize that you're in full-time ministry too? And the Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to do what he's called you to do. And he's going to use tragedy sometimes in order to do it. As we mentioned, Acts is no fairy tale. Tragedy will come. Satan is going to try to destroy his church. But let me tell you this. Let me ask you this. It's been 2,000 years since he died. Has the church disappeared? No. People have tried to burn all of scripture. Do we still have God's word with us today? It's because the Holy Spirit is doing his work. The Holy Spirit is invincible, amen. And I think there's a lesson for us to even see in this too. I think sometimes we can look at Judas and think, man, what a scumbag. I'm I'm above that. I think it's a lesson for us all to realize that even Satan can use believers in the church in order to bring disunity. Judas Judas wasn't like going about his happy life like, oh, I'm a good guy, I'm a good guy and all of a sudden he's like possessed by the spirit or the, the, the demons and then like I'm gonna sell Jesus." like it was in him from the beginning. It's not like God. Like forced Judas to do what he did. God used Judas who was sinful in nature and was greedy from the get-go. Do you remember when the woman poured out the perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair? And Judas was like, come on, what are you doing? That money could have been used for the poor. Do you think Judas cared about the poor? Judas didn't care about the poor. He cared about his own money that he could swindle out of it. We must be careful that we don't look at Judas here and think that we're above him. We could find ourselves being the very tool that Satan would want to use to divide the church. So don't be a Judas. Guard your heart. This is why we walk in fellowship with one another, to guard our hearts. Tragedy will come again. There are... Wolves that will come amongst our congregation. But we find great hope in this, not in the fact that anything in us, but the fact that God is about building his church, amen. Jesus didn't destroy what Jesus was about. He actually fulfilled the purpose. So we can find great hope knowing that when tragedy comes, the Holy Spirit will use it for his good and for our good. Let's look at verse Twenty. So not only is the book of Psalms quoted in, in the first part of 20, but the second part there, that last part, it says this, let another take his office. And so one part of Psalms, Psalm, what was that, 60, 69, talked about that Judas' place would be desolate, but also in Psalm 109, it says, let another take his place. And so we see in scripture, this is predicted that it was going to happen. Verse 21 goes on to say this. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, And Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on, on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Here's the last thing we see The Holy Spirit will build his church. The Holy Spirit. Will build his church. Not only did the Holy Spirit speak of Jesus betraying, but he also used the writer of Psalm 109, that's David, to speak of replacing him. And there's a very specific description of the 12th person who that could be. It couldn't just be anybody, not just flipping coins like, hey, who do you like? Yeah, let's go with that guy. It had to be somebody who would walk with Jesus. Somebody, while Jesus is walking this earth, had fellowship with him. I don't know why God decided 12, but for whatever reason, he decided 12. And so this person had to be somebody that had a relationship with Christ and who also witnessed the resurrection. And it came down to these two men. And notice, what did they do when they needed to replace him? What did they do? They prayed. Here's a decision we have to make. This is huge for us. This matters greatly. We're trying to build the church and extend it to the end of the earth. We are desperate for God to bring the right man in. And so they dedicated time to pray, asking the Lord to reveal. And so they cast lots. That was an Old Testament practice where they would seek God's will through that. They prayed. They sought him out. Oh, that we... Would be a people that when we needed wisdom, and we needed to decide to a certain direction that we would first pray. There's a lot of man-made stuff out there, isn't there? Even in the church, we can get so organizational that we forget, Lord, we need you to move. We can't have someone fill out a paper and they fit the description that we want on the paper and so we move forward with it. We first need to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to meet us in that And we also need to understand here that ultimately it is God who builds the church. He is the one who puts leadership into position. So he is the one that we want to lean on. And we can find great hope knowing that if there's a need for someone, that God will meet the need. And in that, I think it's a sobering reality too to realize that none of us are irreplaceable. And I think that... I think that's where I see, I see, are you broken like whenever you see a church, like a mega church, a large church where it has another moral failure amongst the leadership? Like it just kills me, breaks my heart when I see any leader do that. And I I wonder if one reason why they do that is because they think they're irreplaceable. They come to a place where they are untouchable. I see this with athletes too, like, oh, I make such a money, I can take advantage of these women because I make lots of money. Not everybody's like that, but I see some people who are like that. They think somehow they're irreplaceable. I'm God's gift to this church. If I ever get to that point, toss me out, please. I am not irreplaceable. If God would choose to move me on in one way or another through death or through firing or through moving my heart somewhere else, my prayer for you is that you would not lose hope because your hope is not in Ben hurt. And if it is, I'm mean, God, have pity on your souls. (laughs) The hope is not in Aaron and Mark either. It's not in the elders. It needs to be in Christ. And so find great hope that no matter what happens with leadership, don't trust in man. Man will fail you every time. Trust in the Holy Spirit who will build his church. Because he cares far more about the church than you do. He cares far more about the church than I do. And he will establish what is needed. I am here with my hands open. I don't have any any plan to leave at any point. But I'm like, Lord, use me for whatever you want. And I I think when we understand that we're not irreplaceable, it allows us to be humble and allows us to serve like crazy. Trusting the spirit will use us. So I don't want you, some people you need to hear that far. Some people need to hear you say, hey, you're not irreplaceable. <laughs> if you walk away, God's going to bring the need. I don't say that as if I don't care who leaves. I say that to humble us. Some of you need to understand you are not irreplaceable. But some of you also need to understand that guess what, God can use you. If the spirit dwells in you, he wants to use you. And he is able to use you. The problem is... I think it goes back to the, to the point where we forget that we're desperate. Or we don't know what to do with our desperateness. We, we think somehow we should feel like we have this together. Look, I don't come up here every Sunday thinking, I got this. I got this gig kicked, kicked, man. I could do this for, with my eyes closed. <laughs> like, there's a desperation that we all need in every single day of our lives. Because we are one step away from throwing it all away. We're one step away from selling ourselves out and ca- causing a destruction. I'm one choice away from ruining any ministry I have. Husbands and wives, we're one step away from throwing our families away. Some of you have tasted and seen that. But for those of you who are like, I can't, I don't know what to do, man, I want you to find great hope in knowing that the Spirit, I've said this many times, the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Don't leave the work up to the leaders of the church. As leaders, we are called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. As leaders, we're not called to do the work of the ministry all by ourselves. We need other brothers and sisters who are willing to say, you know what, I feel so inadequate, but I serve a God who is invincible. And so therefore, here I am, send me. Remember when Isaiah in 6 and, he, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the temple and he was crushed. He didn't think, wow, God, you're amazing. He went prostrate. And he said, God, I am a man of unclean lips. But then Jesus says, like, who will go for me? He says, here I am. Listen, he's not looking for people who are strong and have it all together. This isn't like we go through some test and if we pass... Then we qualify to be a leader or a a soldier for Christ. We qualify because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. So I leave you with this. Are you convinced of the inability to stop the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you convinced that the Holy Spirit is invincible? If so, do you realize that he will use a unified praying church? He will. Because unity comes when we humble ourselves and realize that it's not all about me and what I want. It's about what's best. What is God's best? That's one thing I love about Aaron. He always says, What's, what's God's best? God will use a unified praying church. But also, this no tragedy's coming. Hard times are coming. You've tasted and seen it, right? If you live long enough, you experience enough turmoil to realize this world is broken. But do you understand that the Holy Spirit will use tragedy for his good and for ours? Don't lose heart. Keep fighting. And do you realize, do you remember the Holy Spirit will build his church? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But you're part of that church. If you've repented and placed your faith in Christ, you have what it takes to be his witnesses. Not because of you, but because of the spirit that dwells in you. So stop beating yourself up. Stop saying you can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. So get over it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's our problem. We spend too much time thinking about how weak we are instead of realizing and remember how powerful God is who wants to work through weak people. And so if you're like me, who all you can see is failure, get over yourself. You're right. The problem isn't getting confident in yourself. The problem is getting your eyes off of self and getting confident in the spirit that dwells in you. Amen. The Holy Spirit is invincible. He will do the work of his church for the church, and he wants to do it through us. Let's pray. Father, your Holy Spirit is invincible. Lord, as I think of where I want to see this church go, I don't care about how big we get. I just want to be faithful. Lord, you will build your church and you will use a unified praying church. God, would you bring great unity to this body? Would you bring us together? Would you allow us to stand against the enemy? Understanding that tragedy will come. There will be people who will come and who will burn us. But we realize you're using that for your good. You're using it to sharpen us. Lord, you flip the script on everything because you are completely sovereign, in control, and you are good in that. Lord, would you build such a strong faith in us for you, not in ourselves? This isn't about pulling up our bootstraps. This is about renewing our minds and our setting our hearts on the things above. Oh, Lord, help us to take our eyes off ourselves. Help us to get over the fact that we are inadequate. We are absolutely inadequate on our own. So, God, in our inadequacy, keep it from... Letting us lead to sorrow and being quiet and realize, Lord, that instead you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of sound mind. God, would you move in us? Lord, help us to understand the power that dwells in us. Oh, Lord, I forget. I forget. God, renew us this morning so that when we go out into the world that is wicked and evil, That we would remember your goodness. We remember your spirit is with us. And that we would be your witnesses to the end of the earth. And if that means literally, Lord, then so be it. Send some of us to the end of the earth. And if it means that we give our lives literally, physically, God, use us. Take our eyes off of ourselves, off of stuff, off of prosperity, and turn it to you. God, remind us convince us, convict us of the invincibility of your spirit. Thank you that you want to use us, even though we are so broken and so fallen. Yet you use us, Lord. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's sing in response.